0: You are listening to a Sunday Sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ and others, and grows together in faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, September 12, 2021, by Ashley Bufflang, lang Associate for Youth and Communications at St. Thomas. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Lord Jesus, Lord Christ. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly, And Peter, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any of you want to become my followers Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to
1: you, Lord when I was in seminary, we had this running joke. If you were ever taking a test or weren't quite sure how to tighten up your thesis, the solution was simple. Just write in Jesus. I mean, it's seminary, right? Are they really going to dock points for that? I mean, okay, there were some caveats to this, of course. It's a bit more difficult to get away with Jesus when your Hebrew professor is asking you for a translation of Exodus But you get the point. While I can't recall if anyone ever really did scribble in Jesus on a New Testament pop quiz, there was something a bit comforting to the sentiment. That even as our egos grew with fancy words like homoousios or (laughs) superlapsarianism, which I can't even pronounce anymore, or we spent hours in the cafe debating the meaning behind ancient or modern texts. In the end, this joke was a reminder that, beyond all the pomp and circumstance, this journey was shaped by an abounding love and commitment to Jesus. Yes, in spite of the coffee-fueled three-year sleep deprivation, We knew at our core that Jesus was the one who had led us to this place, the one who had placed this call on our hearts to go and be teachers, preachers, ministers of the gospel. And in the end, no matter what we learned or more likely forgot, at least we knew us some Jesus. It's not difficult for me to imagine the same was for Peter. That as he walked with Jesus and the disciples that day on their way to Caesarea, that he too might have rested in a similar kind of comfort. That this man, the one who just a year earlier had extended a mighty invitation to Peter, the humble fisherman, to go and instead be fisher, a fisher of people, that this was the man they had been waiting for. You see, Peter, having been steeped in Jewish tradition from the time he was a young boy, had a logical suspicion of who this man he was following was. He could recall the messianic prophecies like those out of Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not only that, but he witnessed the miracles firsthand. The way that this man had fed crowds in the thousands with just a loaf of bread. The way he expelled demons, gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, healing to the sick. Peter knew him some Jesus. I imagine that this was for Peter a balm a propeller of sorts, one that even as war around them raged or as political and religious tensions mounted, that there was with them a warrior, the one who would indeed restore the house of Israel and bring peace to the nations, the one who would bring an end to the suffering, who would heal the wounds. And in the end, the rest was trivial. An inconsequential detour on the road toward restoration. And so it was this knowledge that sat fixed in Peter's mind when Jesus raised the pivotal questions that we find in this morning's gospel text. He begins simply enough Who do people say I am? They answer, some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and and still others, one of the prophets. Fair enough, good. He presses further, who do you say that I am? Now the disciples were no strangers to these kinds of questions. Jesus was, after all, rather fond of the occasional existential pop quiz, and Peter, well, Peter had come prepared. You're the Messiah. And it's here that things take a little turn. Unlike we find it in Matthew's account of the gospel, Jesus' response to Peter doesn't contain blessings or praise. Rather, there comes with it a sternness in his reply. You must speak of this to no one. And it doesn't end there. Jesus goes on, begins to say crazy things, begins to speak of his journey as one wrought with suffering, repudiation, death, resurrection. It is for those disciples in that moment a startling revelation. And for Peter, well, for Peter, it's downright scandalous a disgraceful, shocking upending of all that he had known to be true of the Messiah's coming in glory. You can almost see the gears skipping a beat in his brain. Well, if this is indeed the Messiah, the one who will restore Israel, who will end our years of suffering, then how is it that he too should endure? No, no, this... This isn't right. That's not how the story goes. That's not how this goes. Peter pulls Jesus aside. Clearly, Jesus is looking at the wrong answer book here. But it's okay. It's okay. Peter's got this. He's studied. He musters up all the confidence of a third-year seminarian who's did his undergrad at a Bible college and always does the extra readings. And he puts it to him plain. Um... friendly heads up, don't want to embarrass you, but I I think (laughs) that maybe, just maybe, um, you don't really know what you're talking about. (laughs) Suffering? Death? That's not the making of a messiah. okay. That's it. That's all I just wanted you to know. Um, Good chat. Uh, Looking forward to some more miracles. Okay. But Jesus isn't having it. He fires back almost instantly with a startling retort. One that, frankly, I and, I don't know, every other person who's ever been interrupted by that Bible college seminarian wishes they had readily available. Get behind me, Satan! Satan! It stops Peter mid-sentence. This was not what he was expecting. He can't help but feel a little embarrassed himself, even though he's still so fundamentally confused. Jesus continues now a little softer. Peter, you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And with it, those skipping gears in Peter's mind have come to a complete stop. All at once, the game has changed. The stakes are higher than they've ever been, and suddenly the true cost of discipleship has come into full focus. Priest and educator Joe Roos tells it like this. In this moment, he says, With this ominous invitation the cost of discipleship got much, much bigger. Suddenly, embracing Jesus meant embracing that cross. Mark doesn't say it, but I suspect that after these words, the crowds around Jesus got a bit smaller. Friends, the gospel text presented to us today can at First glance seemed to paint a rather bleak picture of discipleship. We might find ourselves like our brother Peter tempted to want to to yearn desperately for a Jesus that would shield us from the pain that would rescue us from the despair who will fix all that is broken and bruised. And that desire is justifiable. In a world where we can't turn on the news for five minutes before learning of yet another death, yet another disaster, yet another act of violence against the basic dignity of humankind that leaves beloved children of God vulnerable, displaced, hurt, and hungry. Hear this. It is reasonable to want for that kind of savior. And yet, that ultimately is not the Jesus that we would drop our nets to follow. The truth of the matter is this, the ultimate actual cost of discipleship can be a bit more difficult to grapple with. That the one who we would follow, the one who brings a promise of peace, healing, wholeness, and redemption will first himself suffer. Will Willemon, a pastor theologian at Duke Divinity School, puts it like this. He asks, what kind of sense does it make to worship a God who instead of rescuing us out of trouble, rescues us by entering into the trouble with us? A God who, instead of helping us avoid the pain, heals us from our pain by entering into the depths of our pain with us. A God who, instead of fixing things for us, addresses them by becoming weak with us in our weakness. Indeed, my friends, it is this Jesus, the one conceived not of human kind, but out of the startling and divine and paradoxical and maybe even frustrating mystery of God. This Jesus is the one who delivers us into the resurrection because and only because he too has known the tomb. And it is by sitting with us, in that tomb of loss, in that tomb of despair, in that tomb of uncertainty of what has been and what will be? Will cases ever diminish? Will violence ever stop? Will we ever get an interim rector? Will this addiction ever cease? Will my anxiety ever subside? Will these wounds ever heal? Will this relationship ever repair? Those questions. That tomb. And yet, yes, it is in that very tomb. There lies a seed from which a mighty tree will grow, but we must first drop our nets. Free up our hands to dig into that soil. Open our hearts. Let go of expectations of who this Messiah is and who this Messiah will be. And it is there and only there that we might begin to see more fully the picture of what it really, really looks like to follow Jesus. There, we begin to understand that the call of discipleship is not one absent from pain or suffering. Rather, it is one that demands we make ourselves known to it. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, feel my wounds. Indeed, discipleship is a foolish person's journey one that invites us not only to enter into our own pain, but to enter into each other's pain, to sit among the sick and the suffering, to bear one another's burdens, to sit amongst unanswered questions and sometimes difficult truths, to follow Christ Jesus, God's only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and who on the third day rose again in glory. Praise be to God. For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website at www.stthomasmedina.org.